I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? We're back with another edition of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. Let's get right into it, Mike, because we've got Matt Gelb waiting on the phone for us down in Clearwater. Yeah, and we wouldn't want to keep him waiting in the sunshine of Clearwater any longer than he has to. No, well, he'll also... I, I will say this. Not to, Let me interject right there. As a former... Slash I stopped talking, so you don't have to interject. Re- recovering. This is one of my goals for the show, is to not interrupt you. I would appreciate that. I really would. Um, and then I will move on to my next goal, which would be not to not interrupt myself, um, <laughs> as I just did. Good luck with that. <laughs> anyway, as a recovering baseball beat writer, I will say one of my pet peeves was when my editors would, as you just did, uh, attempt to josh around with me about all the fun I was having in Clearwater <laughs> when... Let me be honest with you. Clearwater sucks. It does. As a it baseball does. beat writer. It does. Uh, it, it, even, it's, it's not great as a, uh, when you're down there for a week. Towards the end of it, it sucks yeah. as a columnist, too, because yeah. there's nothing to write about. And this is the worst time. Actually, the worst time has just passed. At least now you can start getting into some of the stuff that right. we'll, we'll talk to Gelb about, which is projecting the roster. And But, man, so Clearwater, the clubhouse opens to the media at 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. in the morning, which is a.m., so I didn't need to say in the morning. Yeah. That's 8 right. a.m. So you have to get to the you gotta get to stadium the around 7.45. Right. Me, around 8.15. Sure. Um, which means you have to wake up around you know, 6.45, 7. You know, like a normal human schedule. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As opposed schedule. to night owl sports writer schedule. Well, except um, the clubhouse opens. You spend an hour stalking guys who don't really want to talk to you, asking people questions they don't really want to answer. It's kind of like standing around in somebody's living room. Yes, very much like that. Um, I, I hate open clubhouses. Like I, I just like getting in and out. Like the NFL is great because the guys, you know, because they know that that time is set for them. If like they are a, in there. They know they're going to be approached. Yeah, there's like a 45 minute time period, and it's just like boom, 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 right. boom, knock them all out. Whereas like baseball, the tradition is the clubhouse opens to the media, essentially whenever the players are in there. Exactly. So the you know you're just kind of like milling around and like. Chris, you know, Chris yeah. Coglin's over there taping up his the, ankle the worst, and like the, looking at right the, the worst to photos me, on his iPhone. The worst to me, the, the, uh, you're just standing there, and the, yeah, it, is when they're sitting around having breakfast or lunch, you know, and there's seven or eight of them around a table, and you're standing about ten feet away, just kind of hoping that one of them finishes their, you know, turkey sandwich and potato salad soon enough, right. That you can then grab them as he walk. You can grab him as he walks to his locker. Well, I mean, grab them might be the wrong. Uh, Approach them and yes. say, hey, do you have five minutes to spout cliches to I me? mean, there are plenty of things to yeah. grab in yeah. the clubhouse. Um, Easy. It's not It's not the right word. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's very awkward. Um, but it is. I mean, it's like it, – yeah. it's not even a living room. It's like standing in somebody's bedroom because there's a shower right there. Right. The guys are just walking through through as well. Um, and you never – no matter how long you spend – I remember my first time in a locker room in general. I was like 18 years old, 17 mm-hmm. years old. And this was the Eagles – which is post game. It's just like really awkward. Again, yeah. You just got like guys walking around in towels yep. and like, you know, bumping India. And then like the baseball, it's almost more weird because you're just milling around and you might have one guy that you want to talk to for a story. Like right. say you wrote about what Aaron Nola. Yeah. 
um, or you know, what, what were some uh, of the other? I'm trying to think. Uh, Roman Quinn, Scott Kingery, or Scott Kingery. Kingery. Yeah. So you you get to the ballpark that day, and you're like, all right, I need to talk to Scott Kingery. I'm going to ask him questions, try to tell his story. So, literally, the entire day, all you need is one guy. Is one guy, but you can't really do your job without that one guy. Right. So, you know, you you're essentially stalking this guy all day and, mm-hmm. and trying to you know wait for like a brief moment where he pauses either eating or you know taping up his ankle or yeah. taking swings in the batting cage or like going to to and fro some guys are easier than others scott kingery is probably mrs kingery is probably thrilled that, that oh, he yeah. made some time for you i'm sure that has occupied <laughs> he was a, he a was very accommodating a terrific scrapbook. i i came away from talking with if, if the kid gets good at the major league level he's going to own the city it's probably great still hanging on the uh well he's got to get good at the minor league level first it was uh, okay yeah he was all right um but uh Scott Kinger is another one of these guys that's like been the cause celeb of, of Phillies fans since he's been drafted. Scrappy uh, white second baseman. Yeah, they I mean, love come him. Come on. Yeah, they love him. Let's um, be honest here. Anyway, so you, you get there, but if Scott Kingery happens to like not be there, or you're just kind of like hovering. Yes. Hovering, 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 waiting. So then the clubhouse closes at 9 a.m. Uh, you know, you go back upstairs, you have like a two hour window and then mm-hmm. it reopens at like 11. Right. As soon as they finish batting practice. And then it like recloses at one and then it reopens, you know, midway through the game as like the pitchers start to come out of the game. So this, this whole time you're just kind of like standing around and like waiting for something to happen. And it's not a lot of work, but, but that's a, like more work because it's not yeah, a lot of work. Because you're just, you're standing around waiting for this opportunity. Um, you may be writing about a guy and you know, look, is it better than, you know, digging trenches? Yeah, of course oh, yeah. it's better than digging trenches, but... Actually, I, I don't know that it is all the time. I mean, there, <laughs> there were many times where I would be standing there, and, I, like, one of the best jobs I ever had was cutting greens on a golf course, because I just, like, put my headphones in and, like, you know, wake up in the morning, be outside, feel like you're actually doing something. Mm. Like, at the end of the day, you're like, ah, you know what? I put in an honest day's well, work. Well, that, that, that I will say this. Like, and this, this is what our founding fathers felt like when they... <laughs> Got that, back to the cabin. That is generally, I, I found, the worst part about being a sports writer is that, again, it's not a bad job at all. I love it. But the worst part is the feeling of exhaustion at the end of a day, like at spring training. Spring training is probably the most, um, the, the greatest example of this, where you haven't moved at all. It's all more you've like done mental is, exhaustion. Yeah. All you've done is stand around or sit around all day hoping to talk to this to one or two people um, and then when you do, you write madly, and then it's you look up, and it's 7 o'clock at night, and you've been at the ballpark 12 or 13 hours, and all you want to do is go eat a cheeseburger and you know sit down and relax, and then you wake up the next morning and do it again. And now Mike was like – Mike is like uh, speaking from a uh, – like he's like – he's always been kind of like the white-collar guy um, in sports writing where I was a trench digger for six years. So as a beat writer – I was a baseball uh, beat writer for a year. I was an NFL oh, beat writer for, for two years. You worked for the Wall Street Journal. It was, it was tra- I was traveling all over the place. I okay. was there no, every day. All right. I'll, all right. I'll give you that. But In I, fact, in fact, not to get on my... Not, but, but, not to get on my... Like, you, you weren't like... Your editors weren't breathing down your neck to like break, you know... No, but what they were breathing down my neck about was... Have, like it was, it was obviously a different way of covering baseball, but it was, hey, have you talked to this professor, for instance, who did an interesting study about these statistics in baseball. So what you would end up doing is, whereas a, a normal, the, the, the normal baseball writer's day began at like 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, working the phones, going to the ballpark. Well, that's also crap. Let's see, you, you haven't done it. Why? Because it we, began as soon as you woke up and you checked Twitter 
and then you had the blog, whatever mm-hmm. happened on Twitter. Yeah. And then well, I was, like, I was, I wasn't worried about Twitter. I was worried about calling three or four different, you know, right. But you experts. said my day began at three o'clock. It did not begin right. at three o'clock. All right. But this was always so. My boss thought that too at, at times. Uh, not, so I should be your boss, is what I'm. Is no, what, what I'm saying. saying is, then like, so you spend all day. You, you're, you've essentially by the end of the day, it's mm-hmm. like seven o'clock. You know, a lot of times when you're you're driving, you're dealing with Florida traffic. Then when you're on the road during spring training, mm-hmm. so not only are you getting to the ballpark at eight. I don't think we're earning a lot of sympathy from people with this. No, but this I'm, I'm. This is all me explaining to you why. Even when somebody's in Clearwater and they're a beat writer, they don't necessarily like to hear. Hey, go have fun on the beach there, kid. Like, my editors would all... It's like they have this vision of you drinking strawberry daiquiris and, like, playing tennis with Jimmy Rollins. Like, that's spring training for them. When in reality, you know that I know that that's that's not the case. Well, our our podcaster listeners don't. So now they know. Now they know. Don't ever, ever tell me to have a good day. All right. Because I'm... All right, working class hero. We got it. So we're going to talk about... We're going to talk to Gelb about a lot of... uh, Philly stuff, a lot and of carrot rost- top stuff, carrot top stuff, carrot top stuff. I believe, um, I believe he's standing by with carrot top. We're also going to talk about um, Eagles free agency. Uh, but first, what'd you think of the tournament this weekend? Any teams that you uh, really like? You know, I, I, who do I like? I was impressed with South Carolina beating up on Duke the way that they did. Come um, on, everybody beats up on Duke in, yeah. the, in the second round. <laughs> um, just, I mean, they were they even when the game was close, they were they were in control from the beginning. And I think I think Wisconsin, you know, I was not totally shocked that they beat Villanova, and I think they're going to be a tough out. Um, I think they're a very complete team in a lot of ways, um, like Nigel Hayes, like Bronson Koenig, a lot. Um, and just you know, New York, the, the New York region, the East region, had the chance to be really really interesting, um, and now it's kind of not. Uh, you know, it had the potential for Duke and Villanova and, um, you know, these kind of big-name teams, and I'll be interested in seeing what Wisconsin does. But beyond that, um, you know, I think the interest for me now is looking at teams like – the primary interest is looking at teams like UCLA and Kentucky to see uh, – you know, I want to see Lonzo Ball. I want to see um, the Kentucky backcourt to see who the Sixers could conceivably end up with in the draft. Yes. So that – was my number one yeah. thing about NCAA tournament weekend. As the Sixers inch their way towards relevancy, college basketball becomes more fun because you're actually watching these guys and thinking you're kind of scouting a little bit. Right, um, right. Did you, did you zero in on anybody? I mean, so you have Lonzo Ball. Well, I'll, let me start. There's two Go guys ahead. who I, I really liked after watching them play, mm-hmm. uh, and that was uh, uh, De'Aaron Fox mm-hmm. at Kentucky. Yes. And... Uh, Josh Jackson, Kansas, Kansas, Pacey, we'll call him. Yeah, <laughs> or Charlie from the Mighty Ducks. Right. Um, Jackson probably more so just because DeAnthony Fox can't really shoot, shoot. right he cannot now. Cannot shoot. Yeah. But and this, I'm going to write. This is a little bit about what I'm going to write tomorrow, um, Wednesday for Thursday. We're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, there's a lot of guys who couldn't shoot coming out of college who either learned how to shoot in the NBA mm-hmm. or um, didn't really need to learn how to shoot. And, and I, where this, it looks like the Sixers will be picking. Those are the kinds of guys you have to yeah, settle for. Yeah, and, and if I talked to Billy Lang, one of the Sixers' assistants, about this, I guess last year, earlier this season, but last year, and he said the one thing about not being able to shoot is that shooting is the one skill that you really can improve through work. 
in mm. that you can't, you know, you're not going to get all that much quicker. You're not going to get taller. But if you work at it and work at it and work at it, you can become a better shooter. We've seen it a little bit with respect to Dario Saric over the course of this season. Um, not that he's great yet, but he's better than he once was. And there's a guy who's 22, not 18 or 19 like some of these college it's kids It's almost are. like the inverse of that Toby Keith song. He's not as good as he once will be. He's as good once as he – I don't know. Something like that. Something like that. Um, yes. But anyway, go, go no, on. No, and that's that's just it. So, yeah, I think you're right in that um, the fact that a player, you know, may not be a great shooter now doesn't necessarily mean um, he can't become a better one. At the same time, the list, of, <laughs> the list of guys who could not shoot and became good shooters, is the odds are against you. Yes. Um, and, and, again, this is – the reason why only two or three players um, – come out of a draft in this in this year there might be zero players to come out of this year's draft uh which is why Dario Saric and Joel Embiid are probably the top two rookie of the year candidates yes. right now uh, you know I was looking at the numbers the other day there's not even there's not there's a no single rookie yeah there's not a single from the single player from this year's draft class averaging 10 points a game um and like like Brandon Ingram can't even get on the court right no. now uh Chris, for a bad team yeah for um, a really bad team a galactically bad team Galactically. Galactically. I don't know that I don't, I don't know that you can back that up with evidence, my friend, because I don't think you've been all over the cosmos. I just like it because it's a line from a few good men. Should we or should we not follow the advice of the galactically stupid? You know what? I have seen a few you've good You've seen men. a few good men, yes. See, this is this is our weekly test of whether you well, know that one's actually a, a movie that I've actually watched. Well. But anyway, uh, where were what were we talking about? Oh, shooting. Um so, the problem is, you know, when you're picking in the Sixers range, which is pro- which at this point is looking to be between five and eight, I would I would say maybe mm-hmm. maybe four. Um, you know, you kind of have to settle for one or the other, right? And you've got either the guys like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, who can really, really, really shoot, but don't have any of the other really tools. Um, now. Again, you can develop sure. some of these tools and or in the right system you can mm-hmm. but whatever. Um, or you go for the guy who has all the raw, you know, the Kawhi Leonard. Right. Although that's he's way down the list. Um you know, like some of the guys I was looking at, like Victor Oladipo couldn't shoot at first when he was in uh when he was at Indiana. Mm-hmm. And uh Fox kind of reminds yeah. Ryan, reminds me body wise of he's got a little Oladipo in him, a little Drew mm-hmm. Holiday. He's like a more way more athletic explosive drew holiday um but jackson you know he's a very very yeah. very good player yeah he is. and he can shoot he you know, i've read i was reading scouting reports and apparently scouts think he has a little hitch in his delivery at some point um you know to me his frame is not necessary i'm not sure where he would fit in it's so it's so hard like i was thinking about this watching the games um like he was playing down low yeah, on defense. Yeah, but, but I don't think he could, he could not he could not guard a four man. But I don't but think. that's just it is that you know I, I was I was going back and forth with somebody on Twitter Saturday or Sunday, and the person made the point about um, you know the Michigan Louisville game being a great matchup of coaching wits between John Beeline and Rick Pitino, and my point was nobody f- watches college basketball. Or at least the general college basketball Were you about fan. To swear, I wasn't freaking. I was going to say freaking. Nobody watches college basketball to watch coaching matchups. 
Like, and that's the problem with the sport right now. And as far as the NBA goes, it's the problem with trying to project, you know, what these players are going to be. We're guessing on what Josh Jackson or Fox might develop into based on one year of, of college ball. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it just makes it so challenging, you know, even compared to the NFL where you've got two or three years of college football, you know, and game tape to go over to see, okay, even though he's playing at, you know, what was the one double A level, we've seen what Carson Wentz can do when we see the defenses he's going up against, you know, go back before the one and dones and you had a better idea of the fact that Patrick Ewing really could be a franchise center if you took him with a number one pick and that everybody in Indiana complaining that Steve Alford, the, the, the Indiana Pacers didn't take Steve Alford, you know, was crazy because he's too small and too short, even though he could shoot. We don't have any idea. We have, I shouldn't say we don't have any. We have far less of an idea about these guys now. And everything we say about a guy like a Jackson or a Fox comes with all these caveats, all these caveats. And it, it hurts the sport, and it makes it more of a challenge um, to project these guys and, and kind of figure out what this, a team like the Sixers ought to do. Well, I mean, the the other, and, and, and another big thing is these guys are done with their rookie contracts before like their brains are done developing, exactly. you know, I mean, like, like I love Ben, Ben McLemore coming out of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, coming out of Kansas and like, even looking back, I can't understand how he's not a really good NBA right. player, but like he might be a knucklehead, you right. know, like I just saw he missed a game for personal reasons. Mm-hmm. Like, like you have no idea, you know, especially from some of the backgrounds these guys come from and mm-hmm. some of the hangers on that, like the, the AAU circuit is just has destroyed, yeah. you know, the development system in basketball. Cause they, Every one of these guys, from Joel Embiid to 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 you know no you know Nerlens, I think of them well because I'm sure somebody was in his ear. Sure, uh, that might not have been his agent, you know, prior to this season. You know, saying, "Yeah, dude, you're you're better than that. Like, mm-hmm. you got to get out of there. Like, dude, you know, they're holding you down." Right. Um, you know, every one of these guys kind of has a handler, and you mm-hmm. get one from like, I mean, LeBron. They have LeBron them already. On, the, yeah. LeBron was on, in, on Sports Illustrated when he was a freshman. Yeah. You know. They, they, um, you know these these freshmen have it. Already, so these yeah. guys are coming out of college. It's almost like baseball, except it would it would almost be like baseball requiring guys to sign a major league contract and start in the majors right away. You yeah. know, like basketball is a sport, like football. Somebody said said on Twitter the other day that Adrian Peterson might have been the one guy mm-hmm. they thought could have gone straight from high right. school to the NFL, and that that makes sense. But it also, I, w- I would probably agree with that. You know, mm-hmm. given how ridiculous his body is, but even then, like most of these guys would get destroyed if yes. they went to the like. Remember Maurice Claret trying yes. to push the envelope a little bit. Like there needs to be a development system in football. Mm-hmm. Football just gets lucky, and the NCAA does it for them. Right. And basketball had that for a long and, time. And what you're seeing with football too, there was an interesting uh, piece about this on the Ringer.com last week. What you're seeing with football too uh, is kind of the decline of the middle class football player. Yeah. You see teams stocking up on young guys who are cheaper um, but aren't as uh, savvy and accomplished and, you know, bodies haven't been girded to the league and things like that. Um, The Ringer piece looked at it from kind of a salary standpoint, but I think it's true, too, of just a a playing and performance standpoint. These guys are younger nowadays, and teams aren't as willing to take chances on guys who are in their, you know, late 20s, early 30s. By then, the perception is, you know, you're on the decline. And, you know, there's theories about whether that contributes to the quality of play and that sort of thing. So, yeah. But, I mean, basketball, 
But basketball, you know, like, is, it's is, it's the one sport where it would be relatively easy to created they already have the development it would just be a simple matter of not making guys go to college for one year right and then signing like what essentially should happen is nba teams should be able to sign guys to like developmental contracts yes. like a three-year um like when you're drafted from it should be exactly like baseball right where you get drafted um you know and then you have three essentially option years where mm-hmm. you can get sent down to the d league um and then at that point at, at, at any time, you can right. be signed to the big because, roster, but but right because but, what ends up happening then in 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 its absence is and you you kind of touched on this in a piece you wrote the other day about Nerlens Noel and Rashawn Holmes is that you have the decision being made about which player to keep based solely on how much he costs mm-hmm. really and what it comes down to you can you can evaluate take those two players you can evaluate Nerlens Noel and Rashawn Holmes and say okay you know Holmes is the better offensive player Noel's the better defensive player. We have some. We probably have a little bit more of an idea of the player Noel is going to be. But by the same token, Noel is younger than Rashawn Holmes. So who do you keep? Well, it comes down to Rashawn. You know, Nerlens Noel is going to be a restricted free agent. Rashawn Holmes is not. So we'll take the chance on trading Nerlens Noel, you know, and keeping Rashawn Holmes as opposed to, as you just suggested, putting them both in a developmental league and seeing where the chips fall, as the Phillies are doing with a lot of their prospects. So, so. I mean, what I think, and again, this all comes down to this is the NCAA again, probably being the boogeyman. Uh, it's also probably short sightedness on the part of the NBA. I mean, I'm just kind of thinking out out here, mm-hmm. but it just would seem to make so much sense, given. I mean, look, if you were to take every year, the top, say, let's say all the first round draft picks, mm-hmm. and take them out of, uh, you know, take them away from college basketball. College basketball would not be that much worse of a product. No. No, I don't think I don't think it would because like there's just so few guys that would even be in line to to sign a developmental right. contract and get drafted in the in the first round that you wouldn't necessarily impact all that. The, the Nash- college basketball only matters for the NCAA tournament anyway, and that like you could watch Bucknell play Lafayette and people are going to watch that, you know. Mm-hmm. And none of those guys are going to the development. No, league. look, I mean, meanwhile, that, you could that's make totally more money. and that, but that's my point is that that's totally different from the way it was, you know. 15, 20 years ago, Villanova wins a national championship last year without a first-round pick. Right. You know, and I think you're right. I think the NBA is still accustomed to kind of living in that idea of, hey, you know, the college players, America's familiar with them for three or four years, and they just assimilate right into our league, and we get a ready-made superstar. But I think what what the way – I think it would make sense for all parties where – the NBA could kind of turn the developmental league into a, a revenue stream mm-hmm. because you're going to have, I mean, you would only have say like what, four, it would be like the summer league essentially, you know? Yeah. And these guys could then spend, and again, just thinking out loud here, but these guys could spend, you know, say the entire NBA season practicing with the big league, you know, mm-hmm. practicing with the Sixers mm-hmm. and then say, you know, um, you know, Ben Simmons, uh, you know, Embiid even, then they're off, like, they're on the taxi squad, essentially. Right. You know, and they're downplaying, you know, all these guys. It would essentially go in three-year cycles, mm-hmm. you know. And, and people would watch that. Sure. You know, people would still watch NCAA basketball, even though the NBA shouldn't necessarily be concerned about that. And I'm sure the owner's concern would be, well, why are we going to voluntarily spend extra money, you know, to sign these guys to, you know, contracts? You know, you'd be paying these guys, say, $100,000 a year for three years mm-hmm. before then. And the answer would be you're saving money on the back end because you're not, you know, 
you have in, you have enough exposure with the Nerlens Noel to know exactly how much you want to pay him. You're not right. throwing, essentially look at how many bad contracts there are. Look how right. much, look how many sunk costs there are by the end of these contracts because you have to make decisions on guys before you know before you even know yeah. anything about them. Right. You know, and, and yeah, yeah. Like, like look, look at Steph Curry. He spent his first you know couple of years in the NBA. People wanted to trade him. Out right. Of look State, at Joel Embiid. You know? The Sixers are going to have a hard choice to make. I mean, relatively hard choice. Nobody disputes that Embiid has the talent to be worth a max deal. The question becomes if, you know, he hurts his knee again, he hurts his foot again, you may give him the max deal and it may be... Well, yeah, I don't it think it's going to be a hard choice. They have to give him the max deal. It's going to be a huge risk, though. Yeah, you know? that's like, that's, that's the whole point. And, and I think even... Like, I've been thinking about this a lot because something about Embiid tells me he benefited from getting hurt and sitting out the, and two, sitting years. Out the two years. Just because of his jump shot. You know, like, all he could do is shoot and sit and watch. and let, Now, again... Obviously, in a perfect world, he would not—he would not have been hurt. But to force him, and I'm curious if Ben Simmons will will respond the same way. Because look, as soon as you step onto that court and you're in that grind, at the end, I just saw on TV today, Steve Kerr was saying he would take a pay cut to yeah. cut the to cut the season. It's such a grind that yep. you, these guys can't even play 82 games, much less play practice. You know, much less practice. Right. Like there's a reason why Allen Iverson didn't go to practice. He didn't necessarily handle it in the most professional manner. Like. Bring a bring a bring a doctor's note or something, you know. <laughs> like, don't just don't show up. Mm-hmm. Like, yo, I was at TJ Fridays last night, but well, that's a little different. He did, he just didn't. I don't know that he saw the value in it at he, all. Yeah, but I'm just well. He should be able to see the value in calling ahead of time and saying, "Yo, Larry, <laughs> I'm not going to be there," you know, or like working something out. No, where but I, AI don't practice. You know. Back like, to your point, though. I I actually wrote a column about this before the Sixer season began about Embiid and Carson Wentz and the fact that they had sat so much. During their run Aaron up, Rogers. you know, during their run up to becoming pros, uh, and there is science people have studied to to kind of figure out, yeah, in certain athletes or in certain um, particularly skilled performers, sitting back and watching is the best way for them to learn how to do some the physical thing, whether it's playing basketball or playing the violin, that they are going to spend their lives doing. Mm-hmm. And if you taught, when, when Embiid came out before the season... So you're telling me I can learn how to play the violin if I just watch somebody play? I'm saying that, that it's possible that if you have this particular skill already, I know what you're I'm naturally doing inclined. <laughs> you can then sit back and watch people do it, immerse yourself in it, and it will be a benefit to you. Embiid, if you listen to Embiid, the day of Sixers media availability before the season, he talked about you know, how much he disliked watching the game and, and what, he didn't like watching college basketball anymore because it wasn't, it wasn't aesthetically pleasing, basically, in so many words. And what you got out of that was this guy has spent the last two years doing nothing other than drinking Shirley Temples and <laughs> watching basketball. And you saw a good bit of that, I think, from the way he performed. The guy hadn't played in two years. And yet it did not take him long to get out there and show that he's, you know, he's a pretty intuitive, instinctual, intelligent player. But I bet what, I, and I, I would assume, that, see, I'm like more of a tactile learner. So like, I would assume that what helped him uh, even more than watching was the very deliberate process, pardon the lo- lowercase p, the mm-hmm. very deliberate process of getting him back into playing shape once he was able to go out and do. Do you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the thing, the stuff Ben Simmons is doing right now, like he's he, he's work, he's developing so much more than he would if if he had to just like go play against men, you know, 
from I think day the, one. You I know, think, like he gets to work on the things he needs to work on. Yeah. There's no pressure on him. He gets like very he gets the tailor he gets the tailor his workouts to his personal development and not the team's development. I th- I think we're talking about kind of two sides of the same coin. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Y- yeah. What I'm just saying is just I the think- idea being that like, okay, say watch Joel Embiid rise up for an open three point shot. The watching probably allows him to get open to know to go to that spot against this defense or to trail at this pace so that TJ McConnell can pass the ball backwards to him on a fast break. But I bet you he shot the physical aspect of it. I bet it you is, he shot ten thousand more right, jump shots right, exactly. by the time he played his first NBA but, game than he would have. That's you know, my point. So that that shot is much more likely to go in once yeah. he takes it. It's you repetition, know, than, right? Than it otherwise. Blink, would. Malcolm Gladwell, or is that which one was the one where you do something ten thousand times before you're an expert at it? Um, that's like a rule of golf, isn't it? I don't no, know. Malcolm, it's either blank Mal- or the tipping point. Malcolm, right? I think it might be the tipping point. Like Malcolm Gladwell mm-hmm. made this, did this whole thing on yeah. how, yeah. like, you know, you have to do repeat something x amount of times before yes, you're a before master you're master of it, essentially. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree. So the question is, I guess, and maybe maybe this is something that I could, you know, actually ask people who know what they're talking about to share their opinion or their insight. But like, why is there any well, talk who's about got, it? Who's got why? more insight than you? Why? Well, Look, I'm an idea guy, <laughs> but I don't know. I can't climb into the heads of people who aren't necessarily idea people. Right. You know, like I need to, sometimes you got to like shrink yourself down to other people's levels to kind of see the world from, <laughs> from the ant's point of view. Yeah. So like, like if Adam Silver was in here, I'd be like, yo, Adam, what gives? And I, I, I don't know what he would say. I think what it comes down to is a lot of, it's the same thing that we see in every walk of life where it's very easy to talk about prioritizing the 10 years from now mm-hmm. but in the end most of us will side with our whatever the immediacy of the yeah. imme- whatever improves our immediate situation the most i mean look like you can't ask co- nba coaches who get who get fired once every one and a half years like that's their life mm-hmm. cycle you can't ask them to like pro- prioritize not winning games you know what i'm saying right like shoot we were about ready to fire brett brown you know this year even though Although the established, uh, established coaches recently have been perfectly willing to do that. Look at what the Warriors... because they're established. Right. You know. guess, guess what? Guess who's building sustainable programs, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing is you get... Like, look at Aaron Rodgers. Not only does he get to develop and relax and have some pressure taken off and, like, not even... Not, not just improve his physical skills, but mm-hmm. as you said, watch film. Right. Watch, it, watch how other people do their job. Mm-hmm. Kind of like role play. Yeah. I would do it this way. I would do it... Th- it was like me... As a beat writer reading Mike Sealski, the columnist, saying, "Golly gee Willikers, when I'm a columnist, this is what I'm going to do." This, this is, is how that is literally. It. We need to mark that moment as I guarantee that's the first time you've ever used the phrase "Golly gee Willikers." That's absolutely the first. That, uh, it wouldn't even be able to fit in a tweet. Yeah, too many characters. Exactly. But um, Willikers, I think, is 140 characters by itself. But yeah, so so not only do you get to develop your aptitude physically and mentally, but the team also gets to learn who you are, how you operate, and spend two or three years building something that you can step into that maximizes your chance at success. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas yeah. part of the problems with take Carson Wentz for example. This is a big problem with the quarterback situation. You know, I've gone I, I've undergone a pretty radical change in philosophy with regards to the quarterback position, which I still value immensely. Um, but I, I think that the difference between f- being an abject failure and a guy like Alex Smith mm-hmm. 
is like a lot, very situational, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that, for example, Carson Wentz, you know, when people say, ah, oh, Cleveland, they're such idiots for passing on Carson Wentz, I bet they wish they took him. Mm-hmm. I don't know how good Carson Wentz would have been with the Cleveland Browns last year. Right. And like, look at him in that Cincinnati. Remember him in that Cincinnati game, how yes. bad he was? Yes. Like, what if he did not play the Cleveland Browns week one, you know, mm-hmm. and have all this talent around Or the him? Chicago Bears like, week two. Like, what if every yeah. game felt like that game to Carson Wentz? And by the end of that season, not only are people giving up on you, but you might be giving up on yourself. Right. Now, I'm not saying... I think Carson Wentz is a pretty special talent who would have found a way to like, he's no like Mitch. Trub- like I think Mitch Trubisky is going to sneak no matter where mm-hmm. he goes. I think Deshaun Watson's going to like Dak Prescott might be a better example where like, this is a guy who benefited immensely from where having a ready-made right. situation right. to step into. Whereas if he had stepped into the situation that, you know, uh, Chad Hutchinson stepped into was, was Chad Hutchinson, the Cowboys. Um, Who was the baseball player? Drew, uh, Drew Henson. Drew Henson. Uh, that Drew Henson had stepped into, that Quincy Carter had stepped into. Mm-hmm. Like he might, We might be looking at him the exact same way as we look at those guys. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? No, absolutely. Um, I think there's a lot of validity to that. And then there are the others who, uh, you know, a guy like a Rodgers, um, you know, I mean, gosh, he might be the best of all time. But and So he's the extreme example. But there are going to be, you know, exceptions to that rule. But I think, I think what you're saying is there's a lot of truth in that. And, you know, we've, again, we've discussed this before about, um, you know, Carson Wentz can't be everything for the Eagles. You know, he, in that you still have to, if we're, if you're looking at the Eagles, you have to say, okay, well, they still need cornerbacks. They still need a pass rusher. Um, they still need, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z to make themselves a decent team. And the idea that, okay, well, all we have to do is help Carson Wentz by getting him wide receivers um, and he'll make everything better down the road is, you know, that's a path that's that's pretty pretty risky and pretty perilous because you're ignoring parts of a complete football team that, you know, need to be there. You know, it's it's a rare thing when just a quarterback carries a team, you know, to excellence or a championship or anything like that. The great thing about segues the best segues you don't even know it's a segue we just segued into talking about the eagles we did and free and did not even mean to no. and then i just interrupted it all it's all right i ruined the flow but i agree with you so let me ask you this because i've been dying you know two weeks you were you were snowed in last week i was drinking hot chocolate and mini marshmallows and <laughs> playing with my kids yeah what do you what did your kids think of the snow um we uh we Such stayed inside was. we stayed inside a lot and watched um unfortunately watched the movie trolls Okay. Which, was it about Philly.com commenters? No, it was not. It was about um, it was about small, tiny little creatures that sing a lot of songs. It's basically it was basically an excuse to have uh, sounds pe- like my head. People it like, like a documentary uh, of what's going on in my head. It basically was an excuse to have people like Justin Timberlake and Anna Kendrick and Zoe Deschanel um, do karaoke for an hour and a half. They sang. A She's bunch so of, adorable, isn't she, Zoe Deschanel? I'm a big Zoe Deschanel fan, but the problem with that, the problem with the movie is that Zoe Deschanel and Anna Kendrick are in it, and you don't see either one of them at any point throughout the movie. Wow, they that's sing. That's very. Uh, you know what? They sing. I, I, and you get their talent, but you don't see them. Well, you know what? As somebody who respects women for their personality and not their outward appearance, I wouldn't know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's you all over. Um, you don't find animated. You don't find Anna. Kendrick? Oh, I love Anna. I love Anna Kendrick. I you, love, don't, you don't find her attractive animated? 
Not in this movie. No, the movie's called Trolls. So what? That sounds very judgmental. Trolls are not, are not pretty. They're not handsome. They're trolls. Um, but yeah, so so what? So I haven't had a chance to ask you this because you're sledding or watching Trolls with your friend or you're with your kids <laughs> slash friends. Um, and my wife. What is going on? What? Why? I feel like I'm the only one asking what the hell are the Eagles doing? <laughs> no, because everyone seems very amped up about what they've done over the past. I don't get weeks. it. Hey, I, I'm the. I wrote the. You know, I wrote about Chase Daniel last week and and how we should all like. Yeah. Bow before his intelligence for being able to get three years, $21 million, 12 guaranteed, you know, just to get that contract and then it'd be around for a year based on what he had done in the NFL. I don't get it either. I don't. I don't see what, like, it's nice that Torrey Smith, um, you know, thinks he's going to bounce back. And it's nice that they have two wide receivers who for this year are better than the wide receivers they had last year. Um, but I'm, I'm looking at this and saying, okay, well, Tell me about the defense. You know, tell me who this defense is now stopping consistently. Because um, they had their moments last year where they didn't do that very well, even with, you know, uh, some guys who are now not going to be on the team, like Benny Logan and Connor Barwin and things like that. So I'm with you. I'm kind of looking around going, Howie Roseman's doing what he usually does, which is win March. And I think that's part of um, – Eagles I, fans are such suckers because yeah, like, he's been I, winning March for like the last right yeah. I and almost, every year it's like oh dude yo Brian Maxwell yo yo screw shady we got Demarco Murray you, yo 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 and the next year yo how he's a genius he got you, rid you of Demarco Murray you got rid of Byron you, Maxwell you asked a question on Twitter last week which was what is the point here is the point to win football games or is the point to sell Carson Wentz jerseys and I honestly think to a certain extent that's an open question and and what I mean is. They are very happy as a franchise, as an owner in Jeffrey mm. Lurie, to have Carson Wentz. And I do yeah. think that, that given the choice between building a what would be a winning football team without a star quarterback, a, a consistent winning team, 9-7, and 10-6 in the playoffs every year, and going for broke with the star quarterback, they're at the stage where they're, they're going for broke. Mm. Um, because it brings all those ancillary benefits. Ancillary. ancillary you put the emphasis on the wrong, wrong syllable. Um, it brings all those other benefits, the jersey sh- sales and the, the having the popular player and the star power and all those kind of things that they haven't had in recent years, um, in part because Chip Kelly got rid of those guys, in part because they haven't had a real true star quarterback since Donovan McNabb left. So... Yeah, I, I think that's an open question. I think I don't know yet that they're looking at this and saying, here's what we need to do to build a complete football team as much as they're saying, here's what we need to do, or at least we think we need to do, to make things as comfortable for Carson Wentz as possible. Okay. Darren, I think I agree with just about everything that you said, but I think I've identified where we kind of veer off okay. here. And and we talked about this when you initially mm-hmm. uh, brought up. When was that? When you wrote about Carson Wentz and the jersey sales? Last year. Kind of it was last year, yeah. Your, so your premise, to, to recap, which you just essentially did right now, is that the Eagles want a star. They want a, a star. But that's part of the equation, and it shouldn't right. be it shouldn't be underestimated. I think, I think that Jeffrey Lurie wants to win. Mm-hmm. I think that he wants to be the guy that brought a Super Bowl title to Philadelphia. Who wouldn't? I think Howie Roseman does, too. So I think all of this 
that is your that's their fundamental motivation. I think that they think this is the best way to win. Mm-hmm. And I also think Jeffrey Lurie thinks this is the most fun way. I, I think he, I think they might be deluding themselves because this is also the fun the fun way to do the it. fun way to do it. Like having the boys weekend up in North Dakota mm-hmm. with Carson Wentz, you know, like getting the fist bump Carson Wentz as he walks through the hallway, you right. know, like sitting down, you know, so I forget who was telling me, but like Jerry Lurie was never Jerry Jones necessarily, but he's always had more of it than people right. would give, give him credit, him credit for. for. Yeah. There was never and, like and, the, the, the hands off, do what you, right. you football guys do what you do. And there's always been a veneer of, Hey, this is the way I want it done. I don't want, Smash mouth defense and three yards in a cloud of dust. I want I think high offense. I want a He wants to feel like he is a fantasy football owner, essentially. Like, mm-hmm. he wants to be – like, he wants to be part of it. Yeah. Like, any of us probably would. You mm-hmm. know, why else would you build it, – it's why so many professional sports teams are so messed up because these these guys are in the, you know – 66% of the bell curve with the way they think, mm-hmm. whereas the people who actually know football are on the fringes. Right. And they think like fans think, which is probably why, like, look, Ruben Amaro was the same way, where mm-hmm. everyone loved every move that Ruben Amaro Jr. made because 66% of the population is first-level thinkers who, who, like, can't look down the road and right. understand how it all fits it's together. It's the moves they would have made, exactly. too. Exactly. You know. so, 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 like, the one thing, the one theorem on life I formulated while covering the Phillies during the rise and fall of, of the Amaro era was that... If the public unanimously approves <laughs> of any move you make, you made the wrong move. Mm-hmm. Like that's Murphy's, like one of Murphy's laws of, mm-hmm. of sports. And I think you saw it with Byram, I, you know, Demarco Murray. I said mm-hmm. earlier this offseason, my favorite time of year is when the Eagles, when Eagles fans talk themselves up into a lather and end up loving whatever the Eagles do. Right. Like it was funny because it was Kenny Britt for yeah. twenty four hours, and people like you would have thought like, you know, Kenny Britt was was going to go to the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. you know, from age twenty eight on because the Eagles were reportedly signing him. And then it turned now like you, people would be like, oh, Kenny Bird, glad we didn't that guy. They think at that guy. Yeah. Like, same thing with Chip Kelly in that interlude where like Chip Kelly's turned down the Eagles versus Chip Kelly's hired the Eagles. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and I love it. Like, it's great. It's yeah. part of the reason why. This is all, a fun town. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but it, it, it's also hilarious. Um, and again, this year it's like, Oh, Alshon, Alshon. Bleh. Like how many times has anyone, like how many snaps has the average Eagles fan actually seen Alshon Jeffrey play? I would put the un- over under at it's a like games. Games, all right, games games per year. I games per year. It's, keep in mind, he's never played in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Or he play, he's played in the playoffs once, I think. The the Jay Cutler once mm-hmm. or twice. But it's not like the Bears have been on national put, TV a whole hell of a lot. I would put the years. over under accounting for They always play one o'clock games when the Eagles are playing. Uh, accounting for fantasy football nuts. Yeah, but they don't the, watch games. They just watch the scores. I'm I, talking about like who's actually sat down. I would put the over under three. Per year? Yeah. No way. Way yeah. under. Way under? I would say, like, let's look at the Bears schedule this year. This I would makes, say, This makes for great podcast. I would say. We Google search. <laughs> I would say the only games anyone has ever watched Alshon Jeffrey play. Are the games against the Eagles? Are national televised games or games against the Eagles. Like, think about it. The Eagles have not been on national television a whole heck of a lot. You know, mm-hmm. whenever they're playing on Sunday, they're playing at one o'clock. The Bears, nine times out of ten, whenever they're playing on Sunday, they're playing at one o'clock. So unless people are going back and watching Alshon Jeffrey tape or the condensed games, which I know they're not. Or they're watching Red Zone and they're watching highlights of him make But they're not the because they're watching make. the Eagles game. Well 
And highlights aren't the same thing as watching a game. Like anyone, you can make you can make look make you look good at football on highlights. You should see my uh, college. They can make this tape. podcast sound good if they took my college intramural tape is a, is a sight to behold. It really is. But seriously, so like everyone talk. It's the same thing with like Doriel Green Beckham or, or like Sam Bradford. Like everyone gets all. All you need to do is watch a guy for three games in a row every snap, and like you can pretty accurately like you know people are like mm-hmm. oh Sam Bradford's this guy. Yeah, well he is, and you've just. The thing is, people have no idea what Alshon Jeffrey is. Look at Doriel Green Beckham. People are just like, "Oh, he was a big guy coming out of high, coming out of college. He's six foot four. I like this guy. I like this guy. Look, look at his numbers, dude. You, all you need to do is watch him for three weeks, and you could tell the guy can't jump, can't catch, has no body control. You know, like all yeah, this. But stuff. that's what fans are. That's what fans do. They look for. You know, we've again right, we've discussed is, this before, like the the kind of cockeyed optimism that that Philly fans have and don't get credit for. I agree, and I'm not. The, I'm. Not, I am not criticizing the fans i'm criticizing the fact that the eagles seem to have fans running the team do you know what i'm saying like yeah. it's that cockeyed optimism that i think almost but that plays into like like let's take the fools but that plays into my theory which is that yeah they want to win but it's also part of kind of the nfl's um, no but the fans want to win i know the fans want to win i'm, talking about, the, I'm like, talking about the eagles themselves right I'm but talking, they're fans it explains everything if they're just like Normal, but if the NFL, my point is, they're not experts. If the NFL and the Eagles want to own the year, okay, then there's nothing better they could do than go out and make big name moves, you know, big name acquisitions in the offseason and make a lot of moves in March. You know, when we talk about it, but I don't think they're thinking like that. I think they're thinking like fans. I think that's they're not experts in their field. You just have like it would be like if we we picked, um, you know, two callers from WIP to go run the Eagles, Mm -hmm. like. They would be making the exact same moves the Eagles have made. Yeah, but my point oh, is... Oh, dude, we can get fools for I $5 million. That, but my point is that if your goal is to stay relevant, there are worse things you can do than make big off-season moves to stay relevant. Oh, even if they are even if they are what fans would do, you know... But I think it's more... I, I, think the, I think the motivation is not necessarily to stay relevant, at least explicitly. I think the motivation is to win. I think that they get they get... I think the desire to stay relevant and have fun to live in the moment. Mm. Again, this is how we kind of segued into this topic. Yeah. Like the Eagles would like Howie and Jeffrey would fail the mushroom test miserably. <laughs> like literally every move that they've made going back to 2012 and, and they swore this year it would be different and mm-hmm. it has not been different at all has been the immediate move. It has been the top of the market move. It has been higher Chip Kelly because he's the top of the market. It, he's, it's higher Alshon Jeffrey because he's the, the biggest name at the biggest position of need. It was, you know, sign Chance Warmack because everyone knows his name because he used to be a top 10 draft pick. It was signed Byron Maxwell because he was the best cornerback on the market. It was, sign, it was tra- you know, get Asante Samuel, even though that goes back to mm-hmm. Andy. Um, you know, what's the last move they made, like, um, you know, signing Rex Burkhead like the Patriots did? signing like Danny Amendola like when is the last move Carlos Emmons that's the one that that's the big one that comes to mind I don't know if it was the last one but that was one where I can remember thinking like that's an off the radar kind of thing right. that turned out really well like that was a smart yeah. signing you know Sproles Sproles would probably get yeah you'd probably get credit for Sproles a little bit Jason Peters mm-hmm. um, but like in the Howie regime yeah every move has been you know trade up to get the quarterback yeah and it's just like I think economically, from a, from a football standpoint, it it just does it could turn into a disaster the same way, the Phillies did because it just you can't continue like. There's so many. Th- this is like a therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Like, I don't know whether to talk about the Malcolm Jenkins thing first or the Foles thing first. Because, like, I don't think people are necessarily talking enough about the fact that Howie apparently offered Malcolm Jenkins a third-round pick and a fourth-round pick for Brandon Cooks. Cooks. Like, what would this team... Like, what is their plan moving forward if the Saints had actually accepted that offer? Good question. You I mean, down two more draft picks. That's, that's the thing is, like... Even now, you talk to Eagles fans, uh, or even Eagles media, and say, "Well, oh, what about the, you know, what about this? Oh, well, they have draft. Well, just draft one, draft one, draft one. It's like it's like they've been watching, uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's like been, they've been watching Vince Lombardi draft yeah. for the last five years." But look, we've had Gelb on hold for the last what forty-five minutes. We should probably uh, probably talk some Phillies. Gelby, off air, you were just mentioning a little conundrum you have. Um, you and a buddy of yours were are going game for game in the NCAA tournament, and you were wondering what our picks for Thursday and Friday would be. Um, Sealski has already picked Villanova that's, that's, to win four that, straight that, titles. That. I now have, looking, yes. We're... So he's out of this already. Um, <laughs> he, uh, wherever, I was actually wherever gonna... Jay Wright goes to coach in the NBA next year, he's picking that team to win. I'd, I'd actually pick Nova to win four championships just in this tournament. Um, I figured they were going to, you know, win the Madison Square Garden championship and then the, you know, Phoenix championship. And it was just championships all over. It's like golf. One for every book if that's it makes been you written feel about better, them. Uh, young Dave Murphy, um, as a child growing up, staring through the static on WB17 and Fox 29, picked Steve Lavin and Kerry Kittles and John Celestand and Jason Lawson to not only beat Tony Gonzalez – <laughs> but I picked Kerry Kittles to go on to become an NFL Hall of Fame tight end. There you go. Gail, what's the weather like down there? Uh, it's probably about 72. There's some clouds in the sky, maybe a little bit of a little bit of a breeze, about three miles an hour breeze. Uh, big crowd. Uh, Masahiro Tanaka is going to pitch for the Yankees against the Phillies. That's always a big draw here in Clearwater. Put all that aside for a second. My question is, did you get your interview with Carrot Top, who was apparently there today? I gotta say, he's not he's not looking so good. Apparently he's only fifty two <laughs> years old, which, which I didn't realize, but uh, he I didn't realize that there was like a there was like an, uh, a part of his career, a little portion where he was like a bodybuilder basically and he was really jacked. Uh, he's not so jacked anymore, but uh, Charlie Manuel took a picture with him and, and was really uh, excited to uh, get to talk to Carrot Top. Also, Miles Teller is here. He was in Whiplash. I guess he's from Downingtown. He's apparently a really big Phillies fan. Is that the kid that? Uh, I mean, like this is this is like. Is that the kid that J.K. Simmons just screamed at throughout the whole movie? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, this is like all the stars are coming out here uh, with the Phillies. You know, almost about to break camp. Still, still ten days left. All you're missing is uh, a reality television crew. Arnold Schwarzenegger in a yeah, boardroom. Yeah, I mean, it, there's there's a lot of storylines here in Philly's camp. I mean, I, I think it would make for great TV. I uh, well, let's talk about Carrot Top because clearly that's because <laughs> that's, that's the that's the thing that clearly that's a big story of the yeah, day. Yeah, right. Now, uh, I'm I'm struggling to picture uh, Mr. Top. Could could you do be a little more descriptive? Put on your best uh, narrative. Mr. Mr. Top is actually what he would be referred to in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just like Meatloaf was Mr. Loaf. No. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. But meatloaf is one word. No, it's it's two words, actually. So what's Madonna? Is Madonna just Ms? That one I don't know. 
I don't know if it's Miss Cher, Miss Madonna. I don't know that. I think it's just Madonna. But because it's Meat Loaf, it's Mr. Loaf. And because it's Carrot Top, it's Mr. Top. Interesting. That is not well, poten- that is not pretentious. Is the best is when they welcome cl- to the wonderful world of honorific. The best is when they cl- when they have like a dictator that, who's like uh, just in the writing about genocide. Yeah, and Mr. Like, Pot, Mr. Coney. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what, so what does this what does Carrot Top's body look like these days? As I I assume this picture's on Twitter somewhere. Like a sh- like a giant shriveled up carrot or what? No. Okay. Yeah, effectively. I mean, he's got you know his hair is still orange and he still has you know pretty pretty large hair. Uh, he was wearing a jean shorts today with a number 86 uh, Phillies jersey. He's uh, going to throw out the first pitch as well, so that will be a sight to behold. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's apparently he's got a show in Clearwater uh, tonight, and I guess he's been he had a pretty long run in Vegas and it still performs in Vegas. I don't know. I mean, that's it's hard, though. You know, stand-up comedians, it's hard to have, a you know, like a two-decade run you know, standing show. That's, that's got to be a lot of new material, right? Well, and I mean, we're still waiting for Sealski's first joke to land on this podcast. Yeah, that's true. I um, haven't said anything funny in two years. Now, when you say when you say Carrot Top has a show in Clearwater, I'm, I'm assuming you mean Clearwater's public access cable television station. Is that is he performing no, now? No, apparently uh, there's like a venue downtown now, like near the Scientology headquarters. <laughs> is he playing the Scientologist tonight? He's not. He's not playing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if there will be – I'm sure there will be Scientologists in attendance. But he probably is a Scientologist. there's a new venue downtown that uh, reopened recently that uh, is booking a lot of big acts, and Carrotop uh, is one of them. Yeah, the, the, oh, my the, goodness. I just found the picture. Yeah, and – well, the, I mean, that's probably now the most sec, the second most f- famous picture of Carrotop, the one – the most famous one being, you know, the two and a half seconds he was in The Hangover. At that, at the ending montage, right where he gets his picture taken. One of the photos as they scroll through the, the huh. credits to kind of explain. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, one of them is with Carrot Top, and that's it. That was like the highlight of his career. Wasn't he looks it? like one of those. He's sporting a goatee, and, and his hair is no longer really a top. It's more like it's it's, it's a not mop. like a carrot it's, top. It's, it's carrot more mop. Like a, uh, it's well, like he know, looks like one of the Geico cavemen. He can do some crazy things to the hair. I will say this: I was in Vegas for a bachelor party, and a buddy of mine. Just this past weekend, or no, no, no. Okay. This was a long, long time ago. This morning. This, this was back before I gave up drinking for a month. Uh, we went to the Carrot Top in Vegas, and he was actually kind of funny. He's a prop comic, right? Something like that. Yeah. Not. I mean, like you don't get like uh, showered with watermelon or anything like that. But yeah, he's kind of a prop comic, and he, he was funnier than I thought. It was weird. This was like 2012 or 13, so like he was always the guy at that point on like the 1-800 call ATT commercials or whatever mm-hmm. he did. Um, remember calling cards? Yeah, sure. remember phones? I, I've used them. Remember um, them? Do you Hold still it. have a landline? You look like a guy who. I had do a not landline. have a landline wow. in my house. Do not. This is it. That is impressive. He said as he held up his iPhone. Do your parents have a landline? Of course. Yeah, mine do too. My parents are over the age of 65. Uh, really? Mine are yeah. turning 60 this year. Oh. Well, Gelb. Um, Let's talk about the Phillies, because you wrote a little catch-me-up, which is always nice um, for folks like Mike and I, who aren't there every day. And one guy who is generating a lot of buzz, who you wrote about, is Brock Stasi. And, and Brock Stasi is kind of, he, he gets the Matthew Rizzotti, uh, Darren Ruff Award for Cause Celeb. How do you pronounce that? Cause Celeb. Ca- cause Celeb. The R-E is silent. Right? Yes. Um, does he have a shot, Gilb? Yeah, I think he has a shot. Uh, it's, you know, I kind of get asked this every day by, by people 
around the team, people who are not around the team, who work for other teams, they're kind of wondering, like, what are the Phillies going to do with their bench? And I guess that qualifies as about the only drama that, that has emerged here in camp. And uh, it's, a, it's a kind of an interesting decision they have to make. That there's a lot of different ways they can go. I mean, there's still 10 days left, and there's probably about a dozen different scenarios that I could write down and say are possible. Safi has had a really good spring. Uh, he had a really good winter ball. He had a solid year last year for Lehigh Valley. He had a really good spring last year. So he, he's, he's got a little bit of a track record now, but, you know, what's working against him is he's 27 years old. Uh, he doesn't play a premium position. He's really only a first baseman. He's not known as a power hitter, which is somewhat of a problem if you're uh, playing first base. But he's done everything they've asked him to so far. And uh, it's complicated by the fact that he's not on the 40-man roster. If he was on the 40-man roster, I'm pretty sure he would be uh, a shoo-in to make this team. It's also complicated by the fact that Andrew Knapp almost has to be on the team as the backup catcher slash first base kind of guy. Uh, and he hasn't had a great spring and, and has complicated things. Sassy definitely has a shot. Uh, but it's going to require them taking someone off the roster to get him on, and I think that's a, that's uh, that's an interesting decision for them. Okay, so who do you think that could potentially be? Is there nobody um, who makes much sense, or are there people, you know, other guys where you'd say, okay, they could take that guy off the roster and make room for Stasi? Yeah, there's the, if you if you were to rank the 40 man roster, you know, one through 40. You know, I think the general consensus would be that the last four guys, your your first four out, I guess, if we're in bracketology parlance, uh, would be in no particular order: Adam Morgan, Tyler Goodell, Alec Asher, and Luis Garcia. Although I think Luis Garcia is on this team. Uh, he's had a, a really good spring. He has an option left. He would most certainly be claimed on waivers. Uh, and I don't know that they want to risk that. So now you're down to, like, Morgan and Goodell and Asher, and uh, they don't have a lot of lefties. They don't have a lot of length. Morgan is that guy if they want him to be. Uh, Tyler Goodell, they invested an entire season in him last year as a Rule 5 pick. Uh, are you just going to kind of give up on him like that? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, these are these are the, the tough sort of decisions they face, and for them it's, it's not a bad problem because they, they have too many worthy guys on the fringe right now, which is uh, – a very different situation than, than they had encountered in, in previous years. So that the bar has been raised a little bit. I don't want to, I'm not lobbying for Stasi or, or anything like that, but I'm just curious, do you foresee a situation where, um, you know, I still look at Tommy Joseph, for instance, as, as well as he played last year and as much of a revelation as he was, as still something of an unknown. You know, you want to, you want to see him do that again. Is there a scenario in which, you know, Joseph gets off to a slow start and Stasi, you know, comes back up in the lineup. You know, they call him up. Um, or is the righty-lefty thing, does that make it prohibitive? Well, the righty-lefty thing could play into it. I mean, if, 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 it, if it comes to that, that Tommy is not uh, performing well against right-handed pitchers, which, which was a problem for a little bit last year, but, but uh, not so much by the end of the year. If he's struggling against righties, well, maybe I say, well, let's, let's, let's bring Stassi in and have him maybe get a few more starts against right-handed uh, pitchers because Stassi is left-handed. Uh, that's, that's a possibility. I mean, I think, look, Tommy, like nothing is guaranteed with Tommy Joseph. I think he, he had a tremendous season last year and has certainly deserved the benefit of the doubt as going into the season as the everyday guy. 
but they really like Reese Hoskins, who's going to be the third the first baseman at AAA this year. He he had a, I think he had a really good spring in big league camp. He he showed uh, that he's got an idea at the plate. Uh, he he walked more times than he struck out. He showed a little bit of power. Uh, he needs a little bit of work fielding wise around the bag. Uh, but but he's a guy they like too. And let's say maybe we get to July one, and Reese Hoskins is hitting really well at AAA. Well, you know you've, you've got you've got options here. So uh, Stassi is an option. Joseph is an option. Hoskins eventually could be an option. Uh, first base, I don't think is really a problem for them right now. Is there any chance? Let me rephrase. Let me rephrase this. Uh, what's up with Chris Coglin and Daniel Nava? So, so I think I think one of them is going to get on this roster. Uh, if I had to take a guess right now, it would probably be Chris Coglin, only because the Phillies have to make a decision on him before they have to make a decision on Nava. Nava, they're both on minor league deals, and Nava can't get out of his contract until June 15th, mm. and Coglin can get out of his contract on Sunday. So, if 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 they have to make a decision there, I think they'd rather just retain as many guys as they can. So they can tell Nava, we, we like you. You had a great spring, but we're going to send you to the minors and we'll see how this unfolds. And they can tell Coglin, you didn't have as good of a spring, but you know, we really like your track record. We like your versatility. We're bringing you, we're putting you on the roster. And I think Coglin is a guy who uh, had a, had a role on a, on a world series team last year. It wasn't a big role. Uh, he's a veteran guy who can play a bunch of different positions, and and I think I think he fits on this roster. Uh, I, I really do. I know he hasn't had a great spring, but uh, I, I think I think he's on this team. What? How does Aaron Nola look? I mean, he I was down there uh, for his first start, and his velocity looked pretty good. Uh, how's he looked since then? He's looked fine. I mean, I think, you know, he he had a, a little bit of a command problem in his last start. He walked four guys, uh, which is very uncharacteristic of Noel. But that, but it's so hard to judge in spring because then afterward you go talk to him and, he's, and you find out, well, I mean, he was, he was just kind of playing around. Not playing around, but he, he was trying different things, things that, things that he wouldn't normally do uh, in a regular season game. He was throwing uh, change-ups in different counts than he would normally throw them and just, just to see how it played. Uh, and it, it didn't play well. So, you know, he couldn't look at it. But just but look, he, he's, he's healthy. I mean, as right now, he looks fine. Uh, his velocity is where it needs to be. Uh, his, his, he has not complained of any soreness, anything unusual. Uh, the real test for him is going to be when we get uh, into June, July, and uh, he starts building up innings and starts going through the grind of a season and seeing how that elbow holds up. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are, I think, rightfully skeptical about, whether he can hold up because of his mechanics. And if you watch him pitch, there's a lot of, a lot of strain that is placed on the elbow uh, in his, in his delivery. And uh, I think it's fairly reasonable to, to have some, some doubt about Noel holding up, but so far they haven't had any evidence to suggest that he won't. So back to the, back to the bench, we're looking at, you got a backup catcher, whoever that is, you've got Andres Blanco and then Aaron Altier. Correct. Yeah, he's he's on the team. Yeah, he's the fourth outfielder. And then who am I missing for the other two? Uh, you have well, that would be either Coglin slash Nava or Sassi or uh, Justin Valentin, uh, who's still in camp. He's on the forty-man roster. He can play middle infield spot. Uh, Tyler Goodell is still in camp, although I would view him as very much a long shot. He used to go get a bat in the minor leagues. 
so, so really, I mean, it, it, it's possible, and I've heard this from from people outside the organization who have scouted the Phillies, and I, I wrote this a couple weeks ago, I still think it's possible that they carry three catchers because of the nap problem. I mean, they need nap on the roster. Uh, I think they're confident that his bat will not be a problem later as a bench guy, but they're not so confident in, in his ability to, to, to call a game, to, to, to sort of be that backup catcher presence. So they still have Ryan Hannigan and Brian Holiday, two veteran catchers on minor league deals. They're still here in camp, and I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they carry three catchers. Well, here's my question. Why Why does Andrew Knapp have to be in the big leagues? He's not well, out of options, part of is it he? is because of the 40. No, no, he's, he has options. Part of it is because of the 40-man roster, the way it's constructed. They're, they're, they really only want to take at most two, maybe three guys off the roster. Uh, there's already – there's already uh, three catchers on the 40-man roster in Rupp, Jorge Alfaro, and then Knapp. And also because there's no at-bats for Andrew Knapp at AAA. Alfaro's going to play every day there. Uh, first base is locked in with Reese Hoskins. Uh, whoever, if Daniel Nava ends up going to the minors, he would be the designated hitter uh, on days that they have a DH. And on days they don't have a DH, he's not going to play, I guess. They have every outfield spot locked up uh, at AAA. So, there are no at-bats for Knapp in the Myers. And look, he's 25 years old. And if the Phillies view his ceiling or, or possible future role projected to be as a backup catcher, well, you know, it's time for him to sort of sink or swim. I mean, he, he, he needs to be on the roster. Uh, I think just the way everything is constructed, uh, it, it would be beneficial for both him and the team that he is on the roster as a bench guy. It, it seems like, Matt, and you know, that they are in – a number of there are a number of situations within their system where they have um, guys who they want to be in certain spots a year, two years from now. Whether it's Alfaro, you know, J.P. Crawford, um, Nick Williams, and they have guys in front of them who they're kind of unsure about. Still, have you talked at all to Matt Klentak about? kind of the, the juggling and the balancing that goes into that? And, and, I mean, is there anything to do other than wait and see how it plays out? Are they willing to, uh, in any regard, draw an early conclusion or take a chance on any of these guys, um, you know, moving somebody out of the way to, to grease the path for an Alfaro or Williams, somebody like that? No, and I think this is what, like, if you're a Phillies fan, this to me is, like, the most compelling thing about this season is that you have uh, a team of mostly unproven players uh, on the major league roster and at least in the in the lineup everyday lineup and you have a lineup in triple a that is has eight at, you know, uh, seven out of eight positions uh, not including pitcher are our prospects who are sort of knocking on the door uh, cliche but to me the most interesting dynamic about this team is that uh, there are guys very very close to the majors who are trying to steal jobs from guys who haven't necessarily locked those jobs in yet uh, maybe with the exception of Odubel Herrera and Michael Franco. So, you know, there really isn't anything else on the deal other than wait and see. And, and look, could they sell high on a on a Cesar Hernandez, let's say, like maybe mid-June or July if Hernandez is hitting well and, and they want to move uh, Freddie Gallus to second and bring J.P. Crawford to the majors? Maybe they do. Uh, but, but if Cesar Hernandez is playing well, they, maybe they view him as part of the future. And they sell one of their, you know, they package some prospects for – uh, a young pitcher or something, you know, they have options. I think that's what is, is uh, evident here. I mean, they have, they have more options than they've had in, in quite a long time. And I think that's been the biggest takeaway, not only 
position players, but but pitchers. Uh, the, the pitchers that are closest to the majors are probably have lower ceilings than the pitchers who are in you know A ball, uh, high A ball. So they they have options. And, and to me, this whole idea of, of there being uh, so many prospects uh, close to the majors and a team that is very much unproven in the majors. That's a great dynamic, and they're just going to ask these guys to, to make the decisions for them. And I think it's going to be really fascinating to see who rises and who falls. Uh, last thing, I, before we let you go, um, and by the way, I like Kentucky, I think, uh, even up against UCLA is my lock. I don't know about you, Mike. But uh, Masahiro Tanaka, the guy that's pitching today, I believe is a free agent after this season, or at least can opt out, out of, of his contract. Have you heard anything from the beat guys down there about – that situation he can opt out yes and and, and actually it's a it'll be the it could be the winter of japanese pitchers because you darvish uh is, is also a free agent although the rangers have been trying to, to negotiate an extension with them but is that yes, like the year Tanaka is that like the year out. of the uh the year of the bat or year yeah. of the dog <laughs> year of the fox whatever <laughs> the year of the japanese pitchers with questionable elbows yes but so so w- w- what what is expected to play out there is he going to opt out I think it's going to totally depend on how he pitches this year. Remember, I mean, he, he, there were a lot of questions about him last year in terms of his elbow. Now, let's say, I mean, he, let's say he goes out there and has a tremendous season, then, yeah, I think he's going to opt out. He, he, he would probably find a lot of money on the market, but what if he gets hurt or what if he's not as effective this year? You know, it certainly decreases the chances that he opts out. So it is totally dependent on how he pitches in 2017. Well, we appreciate Matthew Gelb. Stopping by, we're going to go to a gentleman who just, while Gelb was talking, stumbled into our office carrying a red Solo cup, Mr. Mike Bob Kern. Ford introduced me to Moscow Mules What in Buffalo. Does that count? Uh, yes, we're going to talk about this. We can talk about the league. We can talk about the Eagles later. We're going to talk about no, Mos- talk Bob about Ford, Moscow Mules. You can talk about the Eagles. You can talk about anything you What did you think of the Moscow Mule? It was good. It was good. It tastes a little bit like a mojito, but maybe better. A little <laughs> less minty. A little less um, – because we, we were out on St. Paddy's Day. And, yeah, I don't drink that much. And they had these St. Paddy mules, which yes. I guess they put Jameson in. Mm-hmm. And Bob goes, nah, you don't want that. You want a Moscow mule. So, of course – and then – the problem was the hotel bar they were about twelve fifty, but I didn't realize that until I, <laughs> until I had a couple that's of them. What, that's so. why I got them in corporate cards. That's right. Yeah, that's Ask why about I, Murph, Fort Worth, and tequila if sometime. You, if you put it on the hotel room, they never even look. You, you, realize, tell, people, tell you, you realize people are listening to this. Just tell them Jay Wright was, oh, nobody at this company listens to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> they were, He's not wrong, you just have to write, not wrong. You just, John Paquette was there, so I figured. You just have to write down that, like, I, oh, yeah. Jay Wright, I bought all these for Jay Wright. Yeah, uh, Everything was good, except, you know, the game. Everything was fine. But you like the Moscow and Mule. Moscow Mule was good, and when you spend a week in Buffalo, it's like spending a month in Buffalo. It really is. It's just there's, – there's not a lot up there. Looks better in the rear view. Well, you didn't yeah, have to – Yeah, except ju- the rear view seven hours till you till you hit where you want to get to. Buffalo's all. And awful. Joe Giuliano got lost twice because his GPS wasn't working. You guys drove up? Absolutely. Ah. Good. Well, the snow was co- – we were going to drive anyway. Okay. I made that drive. But then when the snow yeah, was coming – it could have been worse. You could have been driving up with Rube. You know, uh, I've J- driven Jerry, with Rube. Jerry and Rube. I, I've driven with Rube Rube, Fra- Rube and Frank. Are Rube we talking Frank. about? Yeah. Rube. I, we love Rube. I love Rube. But but Rube drives, let, let's say, 
He, I drove with Ruben out to out and back. Well, I think to Jerry Pittsburgh. was driving. I'm guessing the camera person. Guy. Okay, Rube drove on an Eagles trip once. I'm guessing he operated the radio. Rube Rube drove from um, the Willow Grove exit of the Turnpike to Pittsburgh. This is about 10 or 12 years ago on an Eagles trip. This is Mike Kern, by the way. Have yeah, we howdy. I got he, nothing to do now. I'm he, trying to figure out college basketball extraordinary. He, he averaged 60 miles an hour on the trip. He got to that average by vacillating between 90 and 30 hmm. the entire way. To the point that when we got home on the ride back, it was me, Rube, Andy Schwartz from Comcast Sportsnet, Shannon Ryan, who was at the Inquirer at Sounds the time. Sounds like the trip home from Dayton. Yeah, and Phil Sheridan, who was at the Inquirer at the time. What were you guys driving the Astro van? <laughs> we were driving yeah. Rube's van. <laughs> that when we got back, Andy immediately got out of the van, of the minivan, and threw up. Ooh, God, that's not a good sight. Yeah, in the bushes of the Willow Grove well, courtyard. Well, as Jensen will tell you, I made it to Pittsburgh, I, I do about 80, 85. Mm-hmm. And, which Mike didn't seem to mind, but except when we were coming up like on a curve. And he thought I didn't have it. Like, Mike thinks I just started driving yesterday. I'm like, Mike, it's, it's okay. We're not going to. And we got home in about four hours. Because yeah, Mike's got a series he's got to finish, man. Well, that's, that's a know. good point. And My a good brother went to college is. in Buffalo, so I, I visited him. Which, which one? Which school? That's a great question. Canisius? Canisius or Niagara? No, 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 no. It was like uh, it was like a t- it was a J- junior college. I they think. have a community up there. We passed it. Yeah. Uh, his, bu- his his friends were all in. He, he was in the Marines and he came back and, and all his friends were like starting pharmacy school at University of Buffalo. It's, it's so weird. He, like he went to when junior college. Up when there. you're downtown, and I've noticed, I remember this from 2000 when I was there at Temple. It's like the whole downtown got like airlifted out to the burbs because you can drive around for. And we had some good meals there. I, I can't no when we had real meals. Like what? We went to a steak place one night, which I found, and and then I found an Italian place, and that was good. So I was two for two. Well, I had Ron Bertovich gave me a suggestion, but we were driving around trying to get to Canisius one day in the snow. Golden Griffins. Golden Griffs. And we went about two, three miles without passing like a place to eat, Yeah, which I thought was weird. And then we we saw the one place we did pass was the KFC, which didn't count. But then we hit like a main street. Whoa, so Jack in the Box counts, but KFC doesn't? Jack, I'm very depressed that I'm not going to Phoenix, even though I didn't think Nova was going to get there. But there was Jack the hope is Box gone. waiting for Hope is gone. That's, and hope that, is see, everything. See, now, in today's, I have to figure out when my next trip might be when I'm at a place where there may be Jack in a Box. Mm. Could be if I go back to visit Bernard this year in New Orleans, there, there's one. About, could be. Could be. At Maui next year when we go yes, for our re- 35th anniversary. New Orleans, renowned for its Jack no, no, in no, the no, Box no, restaurants. No, 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 no. No, Baton Rouge. No, no Baton they, Rouge. they wouldn't let one in. Oh, no, no New God, no. no. They, I don't think there's McDonald's in New Orleans. I don't. There's a subway. There's a subway. I've seen it. I didn't go there, but I've seen it. There's too much to do. So let me ask ask you this. We were talking about this earlier. How in the world is Wisconsin an eight seed? They're not. Look, I don't know how the NCAA does this, and Girardi and I have talked about this. So look at the Big Ten. And I think part of the problem is that they see these things on a Sunday when teams are playing. Hmm. And they already have teams kind of put in, and then they'll just move them. Like Wisconsin finished second in the Big Ten and lost in the title game. Michigan wins the title. And I don't know. So, Minnesota's a five seed. Yeah. Which I didn't kind of get. Um, and Maryland was a six, which Girardi told me was wrong. So, I'll go with him. So, it seemed to me like Minis- or Michigan and Wisconsin should have been seeded higher. Mm-hmm. And then, as DJ said to me also, which I, and I don't know, Wisconsin was the best number eight seed, apparently, on the board. Hmm. Well, why were why they, were they Vill- playing Nova? Yeah. I, and, and all that being said, they still shouldn't. When you're a game. one, you shouldn't lose to an eight most of the time. Yeah. And when it, yeah, but they're not an eight. There's no way but, that team's but an eight. I, I get it. But what I'm saying is, 
you know, when, like that, you, that, when, that when, team, ha- when it happens Northwestern to you three is times. An eight. Yeah, and Villanova would have beaten Northwestern. Yeah, of course, because Northwestern's an actual eight seed. But right. Like, Wisconsin's one of the top 20 teams in the country. Maybe not quite that high, but I, I hear where you're coming from. Cause they, and they had experience in the tournament, which they, they didn't have a great year. They, had, they, had, they lost five or six at one point. Yeah. But, yeah, they're, they've been in the tournament. They've won games. It's the kind of team you don't want to play. But when you're up seven with five and a half minutes to go. When DiVincenzo hit that three, I, I thought, oh, that's it. Okay, they're going to be fine. And then Wisconsin's, yeah. I think DJ said 15 points in her last eight possessions. Yeah. Something like that. And the last ten free throw attempts in the game by either team were all one for twos. Yeah. Wisconsin had like four straight, and Villanova had like – and Villanova yeah. is a pretty good foul shooting team. DiVincenzo had a chance to put them up one, didn't do it. Pascal yeah. had a chance to hit one, didn't make it. Um, you, you could know. question the play at the end when – you know, is – you know, is that the play you want to run? Josh driving on a 6'10 guy, but, you know, were you going to give it to Jenkins at that point? I no. mean, what, I don't know what you were going to do. And then Jay would have been not a good time out. No. I mean, no. and I don't know what he was thinking. So, you know, they're going to take a hit, but they won the title last year. So the problem they have now is when they get to – and let, let's say they're good next year, which they could be if Brunson comes back, if, if uh, what's-his-name's knee is okay – um, they got yeah. some kids coming in. Spellman. Spellman will be yeah. so. Let's say they, and I don't think that Mikhail Bridges was healthy. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that Reynolds Darryl was Reynolds, even healthy, Darryl but Reynolds, okay, yeah. that, it happens. But if, let's say they're good next year and they're a two seed, say Varmer three or, or yeah. Well, everybody's going to ask Jay, are you going to win the second yeah. round? And if they don't next year, you know the criticism will be there. I mean, they've only been past the, the first weekend once since 2009, but. In they that, made that one, one year, they, they kind of made that one. They kind of made it count, and what people I think forget now because it's so long ago, from oh five to oh nine, they were in the Sweet Sixteen four times, once as a twelve, mm-hmm. made a Final Four, and made a Final Eight. So I don't know. Villanova is not supposed to win the title every year or get to the Final Four every year. As I try to explain to people, they do this like every forty years. Yeah, and that doesn't mean that they shouldn't have been playing longer. Yes, and and the way the bracket broke up. They could have got the Phoenix. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you but, know, I don't know if they're playing well enough, but obviously when Duke's not there, maybe Baylor is too good for them. Maybe, I, I don't know. But I don't think they were winning at all. All right, so so here's the question. How, like, how is, how is Minnesota a five seed and Wisconsin an eight seed? They look at their numbers – it Numbers, seems like, Wisconsin. Yeah, it seems like they change. They play in the year. same conference. Right. Wisconsin beat them twice. Well, Minnesota won twenty-four games. How many so did Wisconsin beat? I'm just, I'm just saying. I don't know. The Wisconsin because they got, se- they seeded Michigan. No, 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 no. They seeded like eight, eighteen and twelve Michigan. But what State I'm saying, number, you know, like yeah, they but what I'm saying at, is, I don't know like who Minnesota beat off the top of my head or who they didn't beat or whatever. I just think they get things wrong. And look, when you're seeding sixty-eighteen, I you're, think you're that, not going to get everyone right. I think that they're. I think that they're. Going for matchups. More oh than. well, that could be true. I, look, I don't think well, Duke, look, 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 I, I don't like, think Duke should have been in Villanova's region, but hmm. it doesn't matter now because they're both home. Um, but they make mistakes every year, and then some teams get hot. No, I don't believe in mistakes. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I don't believe in mistakes. I believe that there's a reason why. So you if, think they should have won the table, and, and they say Absolutely. we're going to screw Villanova? What is the we're gonna, other? We're no, make no, 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 no. Well, I, that's I, what I, that's what you're saying. No, I'm not. I'm saying I think that how can we how can we maximize television ratings and gate for the second round of the NCAA tournament? 
And I think there's somebody from MB- I think somebody from CBS is in there on the line. So what if VCU? There's, there's no other reason to have a committee. So other what than if like, uh, Virginia Tech wins? <laughs> what has the first a committee game? ever not done anything? Something. But what, what if Virginia Tech wins the first game? I mean, well, I think that that's. I think this is all part of the calculus. I mean, I like, look, like, take, take for example. You're telling me they just happened to have a Butler Minnesota matchup in the second, a potential Butler Minnesota matchup in the second round in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Like, I, I think that they're aiming in those games where you're not having marquee players. I think that, like, look, Lonzo Ball is going to get ratings and Celtics no matter where he goes. Kentucky's going to do that no matter where they go. Like, there's just too many. Like, Iowa State, Purdue. Like, come on. No, I think there's certain things that that happen that you say. Like, like Kansas, Kansas, Michigan State. Well, when Wichita State played Kentucky two years ago and this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could say. I mean, when Kentucky played Northern Kentucky in the first round, not that they were going to lose to a 15 seed. But, right. yeah, I think that was – yeah, I think they sit there and do things like that. But I just don't think you – they – project all the way down the line to say yeah i mean does that kind of thinking maybe come into the equation sometimes of course but, it does well i mean i, th- I do think I, look I, the ratings get better when the big name programs are there it's it's the calculus that we all know know and recognize everybody loves upsets in the first week weekend and they want the the goliath as long as it's not duke that gets upset no but well, they want what i'm saying is i think the number one concern of the ncaa tournament committee is maximize is, is 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 I mean CBS has a right to say we want you know if it's between this and this we want this. So you think CBS tells them? I think I don't know I, if it's I, I I wouldn't buy that. But but I'm saying I'm not in the I'm room. I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it, it's explicit. Why else have a room unless there's a well, no, you know? I'm just saying I don't think CBS has a, a, a I don't think you don't think CBS cares about his television. Right? I don't think whoever does the college football playoffs goes in and says pick these four teams. I don't. Th- I didn't say. That's not well, what I'm saying. saying I don't think CBS goes. In I think the room. it's expl- I think it's implied when you sign a contract for. I I don't know if I would go that far. I, I mean I think. There are certain things they do that, yeah, you could sit there and go, you know, why is Indiana playing Kentucky in, in mm. this round, for instance? I'm not saying that they don't do some of that, but in a field of 68, you're going to probably run into some of those things anyway because it's just there's too many things you're considering. We did the thing a few years ago, me, DJ, Martelli, and Dolph. Mm-hmm. We tried to sit down and come up with a bracket. At the end of the bracket, we're sitting there looking. There was like three things that, that didn't work. Because you were having, and I went up and I said, okay, how about we move this team here, this team? And all of a sudden it worked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, are, are they, do they get it wrong? Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say they always get it right. I don't know if there's a, if, like, if there's a reason why I said we're going to make Minnesota five and put them in with, you know, Butler. There's got to be, there's a reason for everything. Like well, these- no, the, the reason could be that Butler was the four seed in that, that fit and that Minnesota was the one that fit there. Right, but what I'm saying is, like, anyone who watched, Anybody who watched this tournament, and I got to think 12 people who, or however many people, you know, are paid to be on this committee, watch basketball closer than I do. You could tell Northwestern was the worst eight seed in that field. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like Villanova would have handled Northwestern. Anybody could have told you that Wisconsin was better than uh, Northwestern. Northwestern was better than uh, Minnesota, was better than, you know, literally almost every team in between five and eight that was ranked higher than them. And I like, you just can't tell me that their goal is not to make, to avoid. So why blowouts. would you want to get out? Why would you want to get the, you defense? want close games. Hold on. Hold on. You don't want your 20. Hold, hold on. First of all, I'm not looking at the numbers. So I don't have Northwestern in front of me and Wisconsin in front of me, what they were looking at to say what their RPI was, what their good wins were. 
All I'm saying is, you think they, they, they would want Villanova out of the tournament? No, I think that they want good, close games. And now they got Villanova out of the tournament. I think, I think so they, do you, th- do you I, think they would rather have, this week in New York City, Duke and Villanova or Wisconsin and South Carolina? Well, they can't. But that's the chance you take when you're telling me we want good second-round ratings. Okay, now this week's ratings will not be as good. Because if Duke and Villanova were playing on Sunday, you won't be able to get a ticket to Madison Square Garden. It would be one of the biggest tickets ever. So they knocked out two of their best draws. You don't think Wisconsin's a good draw? Not compared to the defending national champ and Duke? No. You think you think, I don't think, you think Villanova Car- outdraws Wisconsin? Uh, they're the they're the defending national champ. I think that's a storyline that you It's want- a storyline, but you, you, know, okay. you can't buy you can't buy Murph, a bag of I'm chips. I'm not going to argue with you. If you think Why that, not? that Madison Square Garden Let's argue. If you think that Madison Wisconsin's a better draw, fine. Then maybe they are. What do you mean? I mean, what do you think? You were talking about a one-double-A football school. I think I would that's... rather have the defending national champ in the top seed in the tournament probably going as far as it can, wherever that is. Obviously, it was the second round because they played Wisconsin. I would want the team that's going to draw the best gate. Well, the best, the best gate television been, ratings. The best gate would have been Villanova because the ticket price for Sunday would have been nuts if they were playing Duke. I'm just telling you that right now. I'll bet you if you go up to Madison Square Garden, well, Duke can't Sunday, help themselves. Duke's gonna I'll lose. I'll bet them. you if you go up to Madison Square Garden Sunday and it's Wisconsin, South Carolina. Can it be Wisconsin? Yeah, it could be. Yeah, you can get a ticket. You can get in the building. Yes, I mean South Carolina messes everything up. Wisconsin. Hey, maybe I'm missing. the I'm point. just saying. I think I don't think Madison. Wisconsin, do you think Wisconsin? Do you think Villanova averages a higher home attendance than Wisconsin? No, because they play in a crap. When they well, yeah. Play, well, no, no. When they play at the South Philly, yeah, because they get twenty thousand. Yeah, but, but there's a reason why they only play in South Philly x amount of games because they don't draw the other t- the other games uh, uh Mur- murph I'm, if, if you if that's the way you think i'm not may- maybe you're right i don't i'm not saying it's a big conspiracy i'm just saying that well, you're making it sound that way you're well, making no, it sound that big... they want wisconsin playing because wisconsin no, gets I... more fans what i'm saying is when they sit down i mean every team in the big 10 draws more than villanova they don't sit just... they don't sit down and say let's give villanova the northwestern fairest northwestern probably draws... they don't say let's give the fairest match northwestern probably draws more than villanova just on their own I campus i don't think they do on their own campus facilities probably bigger than villanova's i'm guessing i'm guessing it's more than 6500 people all i'm saying you're saying that they want they want tough matchups okay i think they want, i think they i think it's a calculus they want good games did they give villanova a tough matchup last year they gave them a team they could roll why I, do you i think they did yeah, and I, I don't. I bet you the television ratings weren't great for that game. But why wouldn't they have given Villanova a tough opponent last year? Then I, I don't. Because like, they probably didn't know they were going to roll like they did. Okay, but I. I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying. I, I, I think there was look, five shooters in in Dealey Plaza, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not prepared to go there. But you know, if that, if that's, they, they got a bad draw. There's no doubt about it, and they're not the only team that got a bad draw. I know. You know. So and, let's talk about the people who gave them the bad draw. Happen. You, you can't have Not a tournament where nobody gets a bad draw. <laughs> there would be no bad draws if Somebody's I Somebody's got to get Wichita State. I'm telling you, this is how dictatorship no, but, but I'm saying Somebody gets Wichita State. Whoever gets Wichita State got a bad draw. Somebody gets Wisconsin. Whoever gets Wisconsin got a bad draw. Mm-hmm. So if it wasn't Villanova, it would have been somebody else. You know, well, all I'm p- saying is Villanova should have been like, – like Minnesota and, Villano- and uh, Wisconsin should have been flip-flopped. And, and Maryland and, and Michigan could have been flip-flopped. I'm not... But I'm saying, so you think that but, was just but, an accident? But Michigan took out Louisville. So did Louisville get a bad draw? Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah. Did Duke- just, just just to settle a, uh, one dispute, Welsh Ryan Arena on the campus of Northwestern University uh, is a 8,117-seat yeah. multi-purpose okay. arena. Right. That's as big as what Villanova's got. Exactly. The, the, the Villanova's a, a, a one double-A school. Wisconsin is naturally going to draw better. 
Like, and you're also underestimating how much these BCS conferences want to set things up. So, like, they have the power in college basketball. So they go to the committee, and the committee says we're we're going to screw all. Well, who's the on the committee? I don't know. I don't have the names of everybody. Okay. I'm not. But I'm just saying is you're you're into this conspiracy theory. That's fine. I'm not. If you want to go with that, that's great. We're Maybe usually right. we're usually token up by now. We're usually what? We're usually like hitting the bong by now. We who talking about me and you? We are. Sealski's such a square. I am. I'm what good that square. way. I got two young kids. I can't afford to be Moscow killing. Mules, we should bring some Moscow I gave mules up alcohol in. for Len. I can't afford to be killing yeah, brain cells you, with give that. You a nice little um, cup to drink it in. It's like a um, copper cup or something. Right? Yeah, I don't like that actually. Uh, well. I don't like the consistency. I wasn't worried about it. I like glass. Well, you might be right. I had to let and I had I'm starting to get thirsty. <laughs> I can't have another drink for four it's, weeks. I'm starting to lose it. I'm new, losing it. It's my new go to drink unless they're twelve bucks a pop. Uh, all right, well win. we gotta somehow let's let's wrap the show up <laughs> okay. right now. Yeah. How far does Villanova go next year? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh let's talk about yeah. It depends on what the Bilderbergs have to say about it. I I uh yeah, let's let's uh let's retape an intro. Okay. So we can throw it a gelb first. Yeah. And then we'll wrap up with this. With this. Is that cool? Okay, yeah. And we're just gonna keep all of this on the podcast as well. So people are probably right. not even listening can we at this point. Jim's cheesesteaks? <laughs> I could go for a Jim's cheesesteak. Dude, I'm telling you, John's roast pork is where the cheesesteak's at. I like Jim's. I had one the other like How do you take your cheesesteak? Because here's how I take it. And they used to love me at Explorers then up at I'll bet. I take it uh I take it uh American and Provolone. And provolone at the same time. Oh yeah, that's interesting. Oh yeah, it always people always gain a little respect for you when you do the American and the provolone. Interesting. Um, okay. I also eat, but then they lose it all when I say this. Uh oh. I like mayo on mine. Oh my god. Jesus. Oh, Come on. that's awful. You're one of those guys. That's awful. I put ketchup on hot dogs. I do. Yeah. Okay. That's why. Awesome. Who doesn't put ketchup on hot dogs? Well, I don't. Pretty much. What do you put ketchup on if not a hot dog? A cheeseburger. Hamburger. French fries. Yeah. That's ketchup food. You know. That's it. We saw Heinz built a billion dollar enterprise just on ketchup and, or, I, or, I mean, just on French uh, There are hot dog places fries. in this country, you know, that have signs that say, you know, no ketchup, or if you're under eight years old, you can put ketchup. I mean, really, yeah. literally, there's places you go to, and that's what they said. There's also, there's also brown mustard, places brown that mustard say and relish. no Spanish allowed. I'm just telling you, you know, you, you can put whatever you want on your hot Put mayo on your hot oh, dog. Oh, you're, you're damn right I can. All but, right. You know. I'm going to put you on my American hot dog. Provolone. I think me and you are going to roll. You want to fight? Is, is Let's get ready fight. to rumble. Yeah, American sharp, provolone, sharp I'm not provolone, feeling sharp that. Sharp provolone, too. Sharp provolone's yeah, good. John's, yeah. Gives me heartburn. Yeah, right. John's is a right. sharp provolone. All right. Let's go get a sandwich. Let's just leave Kernan here to keep talking, thinking he's <laughs> on this podcast still. Later. Uh, all right. Yeah, but we, we, we said we were going.